0: Welcome to the Pitch To Me podcast, a show about the subjective past, present, and potential future of Flesh and Blood design, where we brew up mediocre designs and hopefully the occasional gem. Today's episode will be our takes on the prospective Alchemist class. On Red Pitch, we have Clark discussing the pitfalls of designing a class around items. On Yellow Pitch and Blue Pitch, we have Fuzzy and Joel's vision of alchemists, respectively. You can find us across all socials, such as TikTok and Instagram, at Pitch It To Me Podcast. So
1: for this episode, the general framework of, of an episode like this, where we go into a brand new class, is talking about what the class intends to solve about the game or what mechanic it decides to take advantage of or create entirely. And for this episode, it's going to be Clark going over how Alchemist is going to solve the issues regarding items. And then Fuzzy and I will go into our design and how we think it'll best take advantage of this space.
2: Yeah, we hope you like them. So with Alchemist, this is a kind of a class that the community has have been expecting a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say there's a lot of classes that we know LSS is going to print in the future, but Alchemist was one of the classes that was in a little lore book that they produced at the very start. And we've seen many classes out of that lore book come out. Like they had examples of what kinds of archetypes and classes you can expect from the game. Like the latest one, Assassin, was one of those classes, for instance. Um, Alchemist is in there too. So we were kind of thinking maybe with Dynasty, we were gonna see Alchemist, but it ended up being Assassin instead. There's a little bit of an expectation with, if there was an Alchemist class, they, the hero they would print for it is Lena Bell because we've seen this character in some flavor text. We've seen this character in the art for the recent Christmas promo they did in 2022 called Shitty Xmas Present. We also got a little bit of Lena Bell in a short story that they released alongside like the promo to the Christmas season about all the little flesh and blood heroes all going off and having a great Christmas adventure. And we recognized every character there except for Lena Bell, who's assumedly gonna be like a hero that gets printed at a later time. So we were also kind of s- expecting that in Outsiders cause that story has like a few months before Outsiders, right? So we haven't seen that yet. I still think we're gonna see it in the future But until they do, we get the privilege of wildly speculating as to what that could be. So yeah, if
0: LSS gives us the space to, we will do the design work for them.
2: Uh (laughs) Yeah, we'll take care of it. How else are we going to get hired by them? They they, they clearly don't have the design, right? If they had an alchemist, they they would have printed it already, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Save for the examples we have of them like saving heroes for years before they release them. No, 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 no. That was a wild outlier. Yeah, they they can't have more. (laughs) No, 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 impossible. Let's start things off with our red pitch today. Clark, what do you want to say about the Alchemist class? Right. So
0: we had decided on this first trio of episodes trying to be three of the big things that we wanted to go over, that we want people to expect out of the podcast. And Mm -hmm. one of those things was designing a brand new class, finding those big gaps in the design of the game, in the mechanics of the game that give us good design space. And Alchemist is the one that jumped forward. As Fuzzy mentioned, there's a lot of history with it. We've seen a lot of teasers towards an Alchemist. Great first start. And as I was designing Alchemist, I went, man, (laughs) items suck. (laughs) Items are just bad. Not just the items that they've printed, items as a concept are, are quite bad right now in Flesh and Blood. And so I found myself designing a completely different hero class And hopefully we'll get around to that later. I did a lot of really cool work on it. But for now, I want to talk about those issues that I ran into while designing and how I think that really iterates how we need to make Alchemists and how Fuzzy and Joel's designs sort of need to address some of these issues. Otherwise, it's never going to be a competitive class that feels good to play against other heroes. And the first and probably the most obvious thing that you guys are thinking about Items have no block values, no attack values. You can't really build a whole deck around items because then you can't block your opponent's attacks and you can't put any pressure on their own life total. It's lacking that basic utility that every other card provides in Flesh and Blood. Without on hits or the ability to stop on hits, you're just giving tempo entirely to your opponent so that they can do whatever they want. And I think we've all been in games where we've tried to do that and we've seen how poorly it's gone. Another big issue is that items don't really have go again. A lot of the time when you're playing with items, your entire turn is playing an item and passing. Now this isn't true for all items with a lot of the new talismans, there's go again on them, but certainly for those older, more generically good potions, A potion of clarity, maybe, if you really like the op strategy. Energy potion, potion of strength. None of those cards have go-again. You can't play and activate them in the same turn. You have to play them past the turn and
2: then activate them on the next turn. You could say it costs two action points to play one card, which is pretty resource-heavy. Yeah, it's extremely resource-heavy. Yeah, and right now
1: the only couple of heroes that we see playing these items at a competitive level is Dromai setting up time snap potions with her uh, dragons or ghostly touch attacks towards the end of a game. Or you have all of him with with e-pots or uh, Icelander with epots for setting up really big attacks. But these heroes also have some level of disruption or ways of surviving the game long enough so that losing their turn just to play a potion isn't as detrimental.
0: Or Kano where having that two extra mana mm. can be the difference of like 10 damage in the late mm-hmm. game. Right, right. So, but most heroes just don't have that. A lot of those items are also those generically good items. Most items are these hyper niche things. They provide value for either a very specific archetype. I'm referring to, like, Clarity Potion, which lets you opt to. Sure, that's good for heroes that want to opt, but what if your hero doesn't care about what's on top of the deck? You don't care about running this item. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if Alchemist wants to run enough items, they need to fit into all these different niches. Sure, yeah. It becomes a sort of dip its toe into everything but not really good at anything, and then it just feels bad to play. Another example is like Amulet of Ignition. Ability costs end up costing one less for that turn or the next ability you activate. Sure, that's really cool. If you have abilities to activate, if you don't have any abilities to activate, this is a dead card. And so many items are going to be like that if you try putting all of them into a deck. Items are also typically just underpowered. A great example of this is Amulet of Intervention. It prevents one damage only if that one damage will kill you. That it, i much rather have a card that blocks for two. A card that blocks for two will do more than this item. Another one is Amulet of Assertiveness. It gives you a six card hand if you have a full hand, an attack card that is playable from arsenal, that then hits the opponent. If you do not meet that specific condition, you cannot play this card. It becomes another dead thing sitting on your board. Or it's just, they're sideboard cards. I think this is also something that LSS wants items to be. Sideboard cards. Cards that are really good against specific heroes. Mm -hmm. Example of this is Amulet of Cremation, where it can banish cards from a graveyard. Say if you're playing against like a Recursion Azalea, where they're constantly trying to put Red the Ledger back on top of their library. Or Fi building around like Phoenix Form, where they want to get a lot of Phoenix Flames in their graveyard. This allows you to banish them all out. But that, once again, attacks such a specific opponent that you don't feel comfortable putting it in your main board because the time where it does what it's supposed to do Mm -hmm. comes up so rarely that it's just not really going to do enough
2: for you. Yeah, I definitely agree. A lot of these items that you're talking about come from Everfest specifically. I think that's what they were kind of going for is this is a sideboard card against a specific strategy. It might not even be a strategy that exists yet. Mm. Right, like this is a card that it exists in the game, so we can feel a little bit more okay with like having graveyard-based strategies, right? Like because there is something that can fight graveyard strategies in the game already. Very specific, and I totally agree with what you're saying. Like they're not made main board cards, and so it's weird to imagine a hero that likes to play all of them. It wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah, it just would not work.
0: And really, I've been putting off the biggest issue here until the end. There is a conceptual Achilles' heel to the idea of creating an alchemist. Okay, I'm ready. We already have
1: mechanologists.
0: (laughs) If you go to any online card database and you look up the items, there are more mechanologist items than generic items. We already have the item class. We already have a class that cares about having items, synergizing with items. It is the mechanologist already. So really, if you want to build an item class, it needs to be very distinct than what the Mechanologist is doing. Otherwise, you are just sort of hemming in on the Mechanologist design space and you're preventing the Mechanologist from having space to grow from there.
1: That's true, and you can even solve that problem too down the line if you also make Alchemist like a talent so that you can take advantage of both these card pools so that you have cards that block, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, there's, there are certainly solutions to these issues And ultimately, that's why I still wanted to move forward with Alchemist. Mm -hmm. Because even with, like, that big Achilles heel, even with all these issues, that just makes it all the more interesting to design cards. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to see what you guys were able to come up
2: with. Uh, Before we move on, um, I do want to mention a little bit about the inherent strengths and advantages of items. Because I don't want people to think that, like, in regular flesh and blood play that items are just like automatically underpowered because there's certain things that the items do that others can't right like the ability to build a board state is very unique in flesh and blood like you have certain classes that are excel at it like prism or Dromai, like the illusionists have the ability to do a board state that's something that lss has like kind of secluded to specific classes but being able to put value on the board that you can save for a later turn is going to be very low value for a very important reason and that reason is it allows you to break the limit of five card hand right flesh and blood Mm -hmm. by default you can't have more than five cards in your hand that's if you saved a card from before with your arsenal and it tends to be that I I think that things that are not linear like your value of your hand is probably not just three points for every card right like a five card hand is probably worth more than 16 points, like five cards plus your action point, you're probably going to be able to deal, like, not quite exponential damage, but each card is going to give you more, right? And by being able to break those limits, that's how you have explosive turns, right? Like, Kano can do so much more damage with that energy potion, right? Think of like Briar with Amulet of Earth. The fact that they can bank something now and then add to their turn later. Especially because your opponent's still stuck on that that linear defensive plan, right? Each card blocks for three or four. So items being able to break your five card hand open and increase your upper limit, increase your ceiling, are usually like the reason why you run items. Increasing your ceiling is something that items are able to do that's hard for other cards to do. A little long winded there. I just wanted to mention those inherent strengths of items. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think it is very important to mention and. If you have the space for items, you should consider it, Mm -hmm. especially if it synergizes very well with your game plan.
2: The other second big advantage that items can do that other cards can't is threaten something continuously for the rest of the game, right? Mm -hmm. Talisman of Warfare is, I think, a pretty good example. That's the one where, like, if you deal exactly two damage, it destroys your opponent's arsenal. If they stop you from dealing exactly two damage because they wanted to keep their arsenal, okay, you still have the talisman of warfare for when it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I have a card again, I wouldn't play this card, but <laughs> the one that prevents one damage, if it only if it kills you, right? Mm-hmm. If you still block, that card can still be used later. It's a it's an asset that you kind of like equipment, right? That's part of what makes equipment so good is they're there for you when you need them the entire game. Like if I have Snapdragon scalers, my opponent has to play around it to an extent, right? Until I use it which mm-hmm. could be a really long time. Items have that same dynamic where they can maintain that threat for a very long time if you never crack them.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of this uh, com- this criticism I've heard about uh, Command and Conquer, which mm-hmm. also deals with Arsenal's very well. It's six, no de- defense reactions that can be played to this chain link and if it hits destroy all cards in the arsenal 3 block red pitch we we all know this very card very powerful now. card very powerful card slots into almost every deck very easily so i think that's why we haven't seen these absurd items quite yet talisman of warfare has some niche cases but i think it's one of the more usable out of everfest compared to like time snap and energy potions which are all stars out of the item family i'm excited to see what they condense strictly to alchemist because if they start printing class-wide CNCs, then it just weakens the, the power of CNC or like Tasman of Warfare or vice versa. If you have these crazy generics, like what does that say about your your uh, class specific items mm-hmm. that you want to use?
0: So, with all of that being said, I think it's time for us to get into our first
2: design. Fuzzy, why don't you take us away with the yellow pitch? Ba-ba-ba-ba. Okay, so. On a scale of like 1 to 10 as to how proud I am for this design, (laughs) I'm only going to put up like a a 7, okay? Okay. Okay? Room to grow. Solid. Definitely. And I'm definitely open to criticisms, critiques, comments. This is a safe space, Fuzz. Okay, I'm glad. (laughs) I've got a hero and about four cards that are Alchemist class cards that I'm seeing in like my envisioning of Alchemist. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start with the hero. I've named him... Brew B R O O because LSS loves their dumb level one puns. <laughs> <laughs> and we do too. <laughs> so I named him Brew Sequestered Savant. It's got a pun and an alliteration. He has two hero abilities. First of all, I wrote, when you play an item card, you gain one life. So this is me trying to get back value for playing items. Also, once per turn action sacrifice two non-token items and or non-token auras that you control, search your deck for an item card with cost three or less, and put it into play. So I'm imagining item like the alchemist as being a toolbox. You have, the ones we've seen in Everfest are, like you said, niche. They have a certain purpose in a certain scenario. And I wanted my alchemist to have the ability to get the one that he needs in the right scenario, but he'd have to sacrifice two items to do that. Which might not be that hard, and I think that's okay. But value-wise, you're always going to be sacrificing two cards for one. But the idea of it being the one best card for that scenario hopefully makes up for that. Does this ability have go again? No. Okay. Mm. And I would say that would be that was intentional. Um, mm-hmm. I thought about giving a go again, but I'm also still trying to think of that design space of items being the last thing you play. I have no problem with items having go again, especially alchemist items. Maybe you play an item with go again, and then you use this ability to sack it to find the one you really want, but that's still going to end your turn.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm.
2: Uh, It's also important to note
0: that putting it into play is not playing the card itself, so you would not gain
2: life from Mm. the one that you tutored out. Yes. Oh, interesting. And I'm imagining other ways to put items directly into play, but you would only gain life when you play the card. I also wanted that to kind of make up for the fact that items, a lot of items don't block, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm going to be taking a lot of life just because I don't have a lot of block value and I have to be very judicial about my blocks, I want to have a little bit of trickle of life gain coming back my way to kind of make up for that. The on hits I'm still going to struggle with, but the life totals hopefully won't be that bad. Because I baked life gain into the hero, I decided to have him at 36 life by default. Maybe a blitz version of this hero would be 18 life, Right. Intellect of four, because I don't think we need to go up or down with that <laughs> one. Keep it the default. And my alchemist hero doesn't have any talents or such. It's just an alchemist hero, because I wanted to focus on just alchemist right now. I'm imagining the flavor of this hero being like this guy who lives alone in his lab, spending hours either making breakthroughs in potion technology, or using other potions that he's created to give him more energy to do even more research. So almost like... Uh, A hermit. Yeah, definitely like a hermit who's like alone in his lab. He's like making himself like caffeine potions or whatever (laughs) the heck and like using those caffeine potions to stay awake to make more potions and hopefully make better and better potions. Sounds like a coffee. (laughs) Is coffee one of your cards, fuzzy? No. (laughs) He sounds like a studio Ghibli character. And I love it. (laughs) Oh yes. Okay, my first design. Stony Wart Potion. (laughs) Okay. It's a not attack, alchemist action. I also gave my potions the subtype of potion. Mm. I have no cards that play with that subtype whatsoever, <laughs> so it was a very half-baked idea I had. <laughs> but I, I put it potion in the subtype because I thought maybe an alchemist would care about whether something is a potion or not. Because there are like those talisman items yeah. and like the potion items. Maybe there's a difference between them. I don't know. Ooh, maybe we see an errata with like the original potions that mm-hmm. say potion. I imagine LSS would probably do something more like... If it has potion in the name. Mm. Yeah. We've had this with traps before where mm-hmm. they sort of eroded what, what was a trap, what wasn't a trap, the rules
0: around it. So we, we've had rule erratas that haven't required like completely reprinting cards before. So even mm. though potion wouldn't be like at the
1: bottom
2: of the card, it would still be considered a potion.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I could that's a good see point. that.
2: I could see them retroactively being like, Hey, by the way, all potions are potions. <laughs> yeah. Everything that says potion is, <laughs> is also a potion subtype. if they feel like, yeah, not reprinting an entirely new card for it. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So my stony wart potion, I designed it as a rainbow card. Like there's a red version, a yellow version, and a blue version. It costs zero, has go again by default. It blocks for two, because I imagine alchemists for their class, they're allowed to have items that block. Um, Blocks for two, because I thought three might be a little bit crazy. Um, I still want it to have a little bit of a downside. Like it's not good at blocking. It is, after all, like has all those advantages I mentioned earlier about like being able to stack up a bunch of items and potions. Like I still see that being a strength of this class, being able to stockpile stuff. So I still want it to have a little bit of a downside there. Just block for two. Mm-hmm. The ability of the Stony Warp Potion, when it's on the field, as an instant, you can destroy the Stony Warp Potion. To make your next one or two or three cards, depending on the color of Stony Wart Potion, block for an extra one defense. So this is a defensive item. If you have a couple of these stored up, then you can probably tank a really big turn. If Mm. you can sneak these in while you have tempo somehow, which I don't imagine the Alchemist having much tempo. I imagine that being like a downside of the class. But if you can get these stocked up, then it increases your defensive capability. Maybe even helps you get around some break points. A blue Stony War Potion would only really be worth one defense, but that might be a lot of defense if it's blocking a breakpoint. It might get You might be able to get a lot of value out of that one card.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this card handles that big issue of defense with items that mm-hmm. I had mentioned in the first section. Mm-hmm. It both allows you to stop breakpoints, and that really helps against those on hits that let you keep tempo, and it also it itself blocks.
1: Not only that, I think this brings up a good question as well. Uh, because cards without block, you cannot defend as a block unless it has zero block. That's correct. So I'm curious to see if this card would also alter that rule and make it so that you can block with them if they get some level of block value and then that would affect cards also like Art of War as well because that gives plus one plus one to your uh, power and your defensive power too.
2: Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Definitely the way I wrote it here, at least the way it reads, and I think that's the way that I would want to keep my first draft of this card would be that when you defend with a card, it increases in by one. Mm. So it wouldn't allow you to block with the zero blocks.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a, a good design so that it doesn't leave too much up for,
2: I guess, flaws later down the line. For my next potion that I designed, I also threw in a keyword that you'll see. I call this Mist Corpus Potion. I'm imagining the art might be like a ephemeral body with a sword going through it. I'm imagining the alchemist using this as a defensive maneuver maneuver again to stop an attack. So it's an alchemist item, potion item. Again, I'm imagining this as a rainbow card. Pitch one, two, three. I was in a mood for rainbow (laughs) items, rainbow (laughs) potions. It costs one, so you'll at least have to pitch something or maybe a tunic resource to Miss Corpus Potion. It has go again. I gave it the keyword delicate. When you take damage, destroy this card unless you pay two resources. Mm. I wanted the alchemist to be able to stockpile a bunch of potions, but also have a little bit of counterplay to that. So I can't just wall up a bunch of potions and then like OTK or something. I wanted, especially a card, the effect I'm about to tell you, I wanted it to have a little bit of counterplay with it. It says when your opponent plays an attack action card with cost three or two or one or less. So a red mist corpus potion would be an opponent action card three, a blue Mist Corpus Potion be an attack action card one or less. You may destroy the Mist Corpus Potion when they play an attack action. If you destroy the Mist Corpus Potion, negate the attack. This is a keyword we've seen a little bit before. It's basically counters the attack. If you do, and that attack had go again, the hero that played it receives one action point. Ooh. Because I think it's a little bit unfair when you completely halt your opponent's turn. Mm -hmm. Um, So they would sacrifice an attack, to potentially use your Mist Corpus Potion. And if you don't negate the attack, you p- risk taking damage and your Mist Corpus Potion being destroyed early, unless you like pay resources to keep it around. Um, I also let the Mist Corpus Potion block for two, because I wanted that to be kind of the default for my Alchemist class potions.
1: That's so interesting. Um, I really like the delicate keyword, uh, because it's very symbolic of like, the reality of going to battle with a bunch of potions in your bag, <laughs> unless you have—I don't know—I I don't know the the logistics of that—but that just seems a little silly. So, I really like that effect and the fact that it lets opponents interact with you building your board state. Board state. It also goes in line with auras we've seen from Prism and dragons mm-hmm. we've seen from Illusionist or uh, Draw Excuse Me. Now, I like
2: to think of this as a little bit more fair than Spectra. For you, know? Sure. you know, I agree 100. <laughs> percent I,
1: I like this design. I was just you know. Uh, Comparing I guess.
0: I do think it has the issue of if you play too many cards with delicate, if you take any damage, you now have to pay two resources to keep all of your potions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely has the ability for one attack reaction to just ruin
2: your whole like past mm-hmm. three, mm-hmm. four turns. I think that makes stock playing them risky. I'm also imagining not every alchemist potion has delicate. So you can stockpile ones as long as they're not delicate. I wanted there to be especially strong effects. Like, honestly, I think this is really scary to have my opponent stockpile mist corpus potions that can negate all of my attacks. I don't really want them to have the ability to do that very easily. So this is a way for me to balance this potentially incredibly strong effect.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Sure. I mean, it also is very matchup dependent, which we've also seen mm-hmm. LSS do with a lot of cards, right? It costs three, two, or one. You run into a guardian, Miscorpus is a dead card sure. just about. This also only applies to attack action cards and not weapons. So warriors would be able to circumnavigate this very well. There's definitely still ways around this outside of that. Honestly, it would just depend on what the full spread is. So I like delicate as a mechanic. I'm slightly concerned about, you know, one wrong, one misstep and you lose everything that you've been building for, mm-hmm. which is not something that every other class has to deal with. It can certainly make picking up a class difficult, but it's, it's an interesting mechanic.
2: The next idea I had was stepping away from actual potion items. How does the class interact with the potions outside of that? Like you mentioned earlier, Clark, we have to run attack actions. We have to put a little bit of forward pressure, Right. So an alchemist attack might be something like Bottle Smash. My Bottle Smash, again, I designed rainbow, pitches for one, two, or three, red, yellow, blue. Bottle Smash costs two. As an additional cost to play Bottle Smash, you must reveal an item from your hand. If the revealed item has Delicate, discard that card and Bottle Smash gains two attack. Otherwise, put the item into play. What? So that's really modal. Mm-hmm. If you discard a delicate item, then Bottle Smash gets more power. That would be like two for eight, but discarding a bottle. I feel like I could even like maybe ratchet it up a little bit because you ha- that's like a two card, a, yeah. three, a three card eight. But I think the main mode is going to be putting it into play. I also kind of like this again because the delicate keyword being a downside that goes onto all of your really strong, crazy potions, like these items that are probably pretty pushed, being able to put them into play is probably, it might be too strong. So this is a way to differentiate between the items that are going to be carrying away the game versus the ones that, okay, you can put those in for free and it's not as big of a deal. And this also gets, it doesn't cost an action point to put it into play. That's That kind of helps get around a lot of the existing... That go again issue. Yeah, like an EPOT getting it to put to play... Into free can be really nice, especially if I still get to attack. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. That yeah. I love combining the actions into one attack and then providing uh, decision points for the player playing the alchemist. That's really interesting, and it kind of gets these dead cards. And so, like, if you have if you interact with you know uh, ponder tokens or anything like that to like sort of refill your arsenal after you unload with some potions or use this attack to load in a potion and maybe pummel it or something. Um, I really like
2: that design. I also gave it a block 3 value because I figured this is one of those cards where you have to reveal an extra thing in hand. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to have a 3-card hand to play Bottle Smash. I figured it was okay if I had it like relatively on rate with a block 3. Or I a 2-card hand
0: with E-Pot. Um, I like the fact sure. that this is 2-mana, so it allows E-Pot to give you an immediate
1: value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you... As an additional cost, reveal an item from hand. So you can't even play this. So I feel like the two for six, typically six power is uh, reserved for something with a really strong on hit or otherwise it's just, you know, a a limited card. So I like the fact that it has an extra cost in addition to that, instead of it being like a May ability. So you just have a a random two for six.
2: It's a very fair card. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could probably be a little bit stronger, but I like where it's at.
1: Yeah, I think it's like a, you know, like a like a really good
2: rare or, or a common slot. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is rainbow. Oh yeah, that's true. That's inherent. So like this mm-hmm. could be a blue block three that can sometimes swing for four and put an item in play. Like that can be really versatile. Or,
1: yeah, yeah. Or it could be a, a blue six, like you know, uh, at blue and then really? discard a delicate for.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It mm-hmm. like it becomes a blue six. Maybe.
1: It's also a blue block three,
0: which I'm sure yeah. a class like Alchemist wants. Oh, yeah.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. The last card I designed is now I had a couple defensive potions. And I still imagine if I, my dream Alchemist, still has <laughs> a very dirtily, stockpiley, maybe even OTK sort of play style, you know, I think that kind of is the, is the Alchemist's dream. In me, for me personally. Mm-hmm. Play a shit ton of items. Who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, <laughs> say that with your chest, Fuzzy. <laughs> so yeah, play a shit ton of <laughs> items. Yeah. Get a stupid board state and make my opponent scared. This item gonna goes along with that philosophy. I call it Big Old Bottle of Mana. <laughs> <laughs> big Old Bottle of Mana is big an old. alchemist action item. I have it a, only at blue. Costs two to get on the field, does not have go again. I gave it Delicate. You got to protect this sucker if you want it to really pay off. I wrote, when this card is destroyed, deal X arcane damage to target hero where X is the number of mana counters on this card. So when they deal damage to you, Delicate will destroy it unless you protect it. And the way that we put mana on it is, as an instant, you can pay two resources to put one mana counter on this card. So every two resources you dump onto this card represents one damage eventually. If you can keep it around for a few turns, then it might eventually deal like maybe five or six damage. If you can keep it around a long time, it might deal a lot of damage. If you have like all blues in your hand, including this card, you could, assuming like a four card hand, you could play it and put three mana counters right away. Which I don't think is too strong.
1: Yeah, because then it's three cards for three damage. But like you said, in a war, of, in a game of attrition, mm-hmm. if you can get to six and just take the damage, yeah, uh, you deal six on somebody else's turn, and then you have your full grip to do whatever it is you're doing. And I, I really like the storage mechanic because it plays alongside the play styles of other classes like ranger, guardian. And illusionist, so I think this appeals to a lot of different people, kind of rewarding you for playing defensive and then allowing you to have those pivot turns. You know, I, I'm a fan of mid range strategies, and this feels like it kind of pilots in a similar way.
0: So, here is a world that exists with this card mm-hmm. okay, it is the late game. Mm-hmm. You pop your e pot and you play this card as your one card for turn, mm-hmm. you draw up four cards oh yeah they are all blue <laughs> oh baby your opponent attacks you you pitch 12 you put six mana counters on this and you nuke them for six <laughs> i still don't think that's terrible i think it's actually a sick play it requires a little bit of pitch sacking requires an e pod on the field uh but it's definitely like I can definitely see if the alchemist has a lot of ways of getting tempo, this card becoming the bane of some people's existence because it makes them not want to attack you, but they have to attack you. Mm -hmm. It puts the other player in a lose-lose situation.
1: It's also interesting because if you were in the late game to say, I'm going to pitch my entire hand to this potion, you're also taking the brunt of whatever they do to you. Mm -hmm. Their first attack. Yeah. Now, if you that's a guardian,
0: okay, makes sense. You're taking maybe a hit of anywhere from 8 to
2: 11 damage. Mm-hmm. That's big. Maybe even a pummel on top of that. That's big. And maybe Alchemist has other sources of arcane damage. Maybe they're running Arcane Barrier. Right, So it's not going to be all six that nukes them. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah,
2: perhaps. And they'll have the rest of their hand in the scenario that you're talking about. They play their first attack. They probably have at least one, two, three mana that they can pitch. Yeah, but ninjas hate this card. Sure. Except ninjas can probably aggro you out before you're able to set up something like that. Not not only that, ninjas have a lot of
1: natural blue pitch as well for their Kadachis naturally. Sure. So even one AB would kind of actually... One nope. AB
0: would only block one damage. Yes. This is not. They might even have to instances.
1: do two AB depending on what the other cards of an Alchemist class would look like. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah. I think it's definitely one of the healthier ways of building this big arcane nuke. At the end, there is counterplay even leading up to it with the delicate mechanic. But you do have the ability to late game if you just all in on this card as your win condition. Nuke for six. But hmm. nuking for six still doesn't sound super broken when we've seen what Kano can do on some turns.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. Even against AB3. With a hand of four blues. Yeah. We've definitely
0: seen that hero put out bigger things than than
2: this. Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) This one I wrote block two. Like I gave it a block value of two. Um, I could see that being less or even more. Like as an item with that pitches for three and has a good damage value associated with it, assumedly. Mm -hmm. Um, I could see it blocking for zero, but I could also see it blocking for three because I'm imagining this is a Majestic, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like a nice build around Majestic that has scary potential. I don't see it being a rainbow card for sure. I see it coming in only blue. Yeah, this is a Mythic. Or, Or a specialization even. I like this design, Fuzzy. Yay.
0: You were really trying to touch on that toolbox sensation Mm-hmm. Giving block values, fixing the go again issue, letting it letting the alchemist feel as if if you get a li- a crumb, <laughs> just a crumb of tempo, you have things to do besides play one pot past the turn. Mm-hmm. I can very easily see a very defensive, dirty play playstyle. Peace of minds, oasis respites, multiple of the generic defense reactions. I definitely see, A world where this is a hero that people want to play and are willing to try to make work. And we don't have time to go over like a whole card set, right? Mm -hmm. Like 20 cards. But I would be interested in seeing where Delicate ends up going. Where cards like Bottle Smash end up going. Yeah, trying to give specifically attack actions to a class that synergizes with items, Mm -hmm. or items that give all of your other items more value or your Mm -hmm. other defensive cards more value as a way of shoring up those issues.
2: So Joel, I'm super curious how you took this class. I was very happy to dip my toes into it, and I'm really excited to see another person's view on the same material.
1: Yeah, and I, I like how we naturally went in opposite directions, because I definitely don't see mine as defensive, or it has defensive options, but it's more so reminiscent of like brute in a way, where it's a little bit more variance, and it's like, okay, if, the, if this works out, great. If not, I'm gonna try and do more on my turn to, to disrupt what, you, what you're doing. So for my hero, I have Royo, R-O-Y-O, Rocket of the Red Mist. And I don't know why I did three R's, but it just (laughs) fell right in my heart, so I did it. Great Um, movie. (laughs) And the ability, first line reads, the first item you play, each turn has go again. So I really like the classic potions, like Time Snap, Potion of Strength, and Epot, so I felt like giving those way more leg room in this deck I thought was important. And also with the other items that have no go again, kind of like this will signify the turn and just uh, give... This hero more options in general.
0: Now remind me, if a card has Go Again printed on it twice, whether that's given to it through something else, do you gain an action point?
1: No. So typically the way it works, if a card has multiple sources of a Go Again, i.e., like Scar for Scar, and you play Captain's Call to give it Go Again, it still resolves as one action point at the end of the turn, where you get an action point. It would be if you play, um, if you're playing a Roomblade, for instance and you play a card with go again, and then you use the leg equipment spellbound creepers to play a non-attack as an instant, and then that card will resolve as an instant, but go again still resolves and gives you an action point. So it'll be two separate instances. So
0: only if you are able to cast the card without using an action point would go again, net you an action point. Otherwise, all it does is give you that action point you spent, Back.
1: Correct. So, this, this ability will never give an item like Talisman of Warfare double go again or whatever. So, you'd only ever get one action point back. So, some cases might matter. Other cases, like Time Snap Potion, I would get, you know, I could play Time Snap, crack it for two actions, and, you know, things like that. But, um, yeah, good distinction, Clark. Mm-hmm. It continues with whenever you use the ability of an item, uh, create a charged flask token and A charged flask token is a material that can be put under an item that any hero plays. So you could put it under an opposing hero's item or your own that you play. And uh, that I'll get into a little bit more later on. Um, And charged flask token also reads, when this item is destroyed, it explodes and deals one damage to any target. Wowza. Uh, this hero is going to have uh, 38 health as an adult and four intellect because uh, who, who needs five? And the flavor behind this guy, because the original alchemist that got us, got our gears turning, was from the pits or theoretically from the pits, I wanted this guy to also be in the pits, but sort of play into that because the other alchemist looks cute and I don't want this one to be cute. I want to be ugly and mean <laughs> and whatever. So. This guy is a renowned arms and explosives dealer who hides in the pits guarded by a slew of booby traps of his own design, (laughs) whose validic creations leave behind a thick red mist, theoretically blood. And so that's where I got the charged flask because obviously he's going to have access to explosives. And I think it's interesting to also mess with your opponent's board if they play like a, you know, an energy potion, like whenever you crack it, you're going to take one damage.
2: That's so cool.
1: Um, So like, I think of it like if anyone were to take arms against him in the pits, if they were to use his own creations, they would you know, damage whoever tries to attack him, right?
2: You brought potions against an alchemist. <laughs> Big mistake.
1: <laughs> exactly. So my first card uh, is actually his uh, specialization, and it's called Desperate Measures. It's a three-cost, three-block blue pitch alchemist action and it reads, destroy any number of non-token items you control, your next weapon attack gets plus X, where X is the number of items destroyed this way. If you destroy three or more items this way, your next weapon attack gains dominate and the card itself has go again. This card is probably the first indication that this is a more aggressive version of Alchemist. Um, I want this guy to be a crazed explosives expert and kind of use different tonics and explosives to change the tide of battle, cause chaos, things like that, and really amplify his own effects. I, I'm thinking of like, you know, injecting himself with steroids or, or, or some level of amplification that really pushes him over his opponent. So with this one in particular, I wanted some way to, with this here ability, give you options in playing a bunch of items. And when you play them, you get like these different charge flash tokens. So when you destroy them to this effect, you're not only dealing uh, a damage per item destroyed, and then you also give power to your next weapon attack. So, this is definitely one of your power cards, and you're gonna be, and with the blue pitch, you can pitch this for your other effects and make it. And this might even be legendary too, with the power that's involved with this uh, card.
2: I like it. It has that feel of like, okay, if I can get a bunch of items out, my opponent's gonna be sweating. <laughs> Because they know the Desperate Meshes is coming up, and I'm going to just destroy all of my items to get this huge-ass attack. Yeah,
0: and uh, if you can set this up over a long period of time, each one of these items that you're destroying should have a charged flask under it.
1: Mm -hmm. So not
0: only is it giving plus one to this weapon attack, not only is it giving dominate to this weapon attack, it's also pinging them for one for each item that you have destroyed
1: here exactly and i kind of got this inspiration from bolton with his storage mechanic being able to give things a go get, get just basically give all of the rest of his cards extra value when you play them and utilize his ability and also with dromai and you know if you're sitting across the table from a dromai player and you see they have like an uvia a couple ash wings and like five ash or something really absurd like that you're like okay I need to start managing their board state before it gets a little too crazy. So it creates this weird decision points. And it's, uh, you know, moments like these where it can really take the pressure off the alchemist, you know, them being a lower life total at 38, but also inherently having zero block items. That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. It's also only a two-card hand, presumably, if Mm -hmm. you set up well enough. Exactly, yep. And that will be even more clear uh, when we get to the last card. So the next card that I thought of was smoke bomb. So this is probably going to be a majestic slot, because I really wouldn't really know how to balance it across uh, the rainbow colors. But this is a zero cost zero block yellow pitch. uh, Alchemist action item, no potion, just item. The ability reads instant destroy this item, roll a six sided dice target weapon attack gets minus x where x is half the rolled result rounded down. So. I wanted this card to be very reminiscent of an actual smoke bomb. Like, if you're close enough to somebody, like, I think of, like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, like, you have rolls for attacks, right? Anything that's going on in the battlefield can hinder those rolls. So, if I'm throwing a smoke bomb, chances are your attack, your weapon attack can completely whiff. And other times you can get lucky and still hit them. So, I wanted that variance involved in this card. Uh, And Yellow Pitch still lets me pitch for, you know, uh, whatever activated abilities I might have or other attack actions I might have.
2: I like this. I like that it only prevents weapon attack damage. Mm -hmm. So that kind of seems a little bit niche. And that kind of goes along with the other items we've been seeing already. I like how it's an indeterminate amount of damage. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't know how much value you're getting out of this when you roll the die. Your opponent doesn't know how much value you're getting out of this. So that kind of makes it really hard to play around and play with mm-hmm. and that's really interesting to me it always blocks at least one damage so you're always going to get at least some value out of it because it's an instant you could technically use this could you use this before you declare blockers so two things so actually you can block nothing
1: with this card because
0: one w- half oh five half, rounded round it down, it down. To
1: zero yep so okay. that, that's kind of reminiscent of, like, a scabskin Leathers from Brute, uh, where if you get a 1, your turn ends.
2: I didn't read that part. I thought it was literally, like, anywhere from 1 to 6 damage. Oh, that's...
1: Yeah, that's... <laughs> that might be a little strong. That's what I was zero. thinking about originally, but I didn't want to, like, completely, you know, shut people's turns out. Like, if I have two of these, I can block 12 on a Dorinthia weapon swing and just kind of say, like... He rolled double sixes. Exactly. You know, kind of deal with it in a way. And then the other point you mentioned about...
2: I'd maybe let it round up. I feel like it'd be okay if it always blocks at least one. Really? Or maybe, like, because... Because it's not that strong. Mm. Blocking three is not a big effect. Yeah. Now, it is a block three that you have put on the board. Yeah. Generally, Mm. items are kind of supposed to be under-tuned. Like, getting three points from an item is a lot. Yeah. But also... There's a one third chance of getting that. And like just let like this one class, it's a class card, right? Let this one class have a pushed item, you know, Mm -hmm. an item that gets to block three points. And only on a weapon. Not every
0: class is really going to be concerned with throwing weapons. Yeah. And sometimes you throw a weapon and it's only one damage, right? Kodachi's Mm -hmm. or um, any dagger from the assassin class. This is really like anti-brute, anti-warrior. Anti-Guardian, guardian? maybe? Yeah. yeah. Even then on Guardian, like... they much rather be throwing their Crippling Crush, their their Crush cards. Yeah. And this doesn't affect those at all. But I do think that weapon is the right thing for this to target. Yeah.
2: Totally agree there. Because
0: you can generally rely on more heroes throwing weapon attacks.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, with the aggressive nature of this deck, if the opponent is literally just left to swing in their weapon... Then I wanted some way for Royo's like unlimited arsenal to have something in there just in case, but still not have it be guaranteed because his identity and nature is chaos, variance, things like that. Got it. So there's ways to mitigate it, but I wanted this way to be like the opportunity to like completely blow somebody out, but still have some level of reasonable value to it as well. And this is my favorite part of the hero, and it kind of lines up really well with his specialization. Work in progress, obviously, uh, but I have it as the Red Mister, and it's a two-handed alchemist weapon. It's a club, too, so you can pummel it. Love the name. (laughs) Thank you. And the once-per-turn action is a zero cost, and it says you may sacrifice up to two items. If you do, this attack gains plus four damage. So it's almost like romping club, but you have to have two items already on the board. The reason why I wanted to have it zero cost is because I really want this to be like storage and like a power swing weapon. So you can't just do it on turn one cause it's gonna swing for zero if you don't, if you sacrifice anything under two. And with this specialization, you could get it up to seven dominate with just uh, one card and a blue. Also, if you sacrifice the two items to swing with it, it becomes zero for six. But again, no inherent value on turn ones through three, most
2: likely. You mean the, the charged flask tokens? Uh, yes, exactly. As a reminder, um, you wrote, whenever you use the ability of an item, create a charged flask token. I'm liking the interplay, the mix between like, oh, items are something that I just want to sack them for my various effects i don't care if they're that niche if it comes up great if it doesn't i get to sack them for my various effects i can sacrifice two items to get in for four damage even on a zero card hand i can sacrifice a mass uh a critical mass of items to make my weapon attack have dominate and attack for a bunch but if you actually get to use the item then it makes the charged flask you get one extra damage for every time you use the ability of an item and i think i like that that mix
1: yeah. And the, the way that I designed it is that if you sacrifice your items to an effect other than its own ability, mm-hmm. you will not get the charged flask because I want there to be oh. still decision points between your, your play patterns. So if I sacrifice two items to like my weapon, for instance, if they have charged flask, I get two damage, but I don't replace them. So I don't want there to be a world where I can just you know swing for six every turn and then keep recurring that if I play two more items. I want there to be some level of setup and then reaping the benefits of setting up and taking off turns for these more explosive turns later down the line.
0: I guess what I can say about the weapon is that you are looking for five items with your specialization. By the way, I don't think the specialization should be a legendary specialization. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's nearly powerful enough to to ask for that. Because what I'm looking at is a two card with five items on the field for one, two, three, four, five, nine dominate attack with maybe some pings throw in there, right? Five items on the field, Mm -hmm. the blue pitch to play the specialization, sacrifice three things to give plus three in the dominate ability, which is bare minimum what you're looking for typically whenever you play that card. Then activate the Red Mister ability to sacrifice two more items to give it plus four. It's now a nine with dominate. Am I checking? Is all my math correct there? Wouldn't it be seven dominate? Well, how much is the? If you're
1: sacrificing five items to the specialization, you're saying? No. He's saying three to the specialization
0: of the weapon.
1: So the weapon itself can get plus four from its own ability.
0: Does it have any base attack? No. Okay.
1: In which case, that's only seven
2: dominate, and I think that it is even weaker. <laughs> the thing about the the charge flask is it's hard to interact with that damage, right? Mm. So that's why you have thirty eight health. Yeah. Luckily, the desperate measures specialization is a blue card, which means that the nice thing about blue cards is you get value out of them, and then you get to play them late game, right? Right. So yes. it had, like a card that you'd want like this, where like it can be a little bit underrated, and okay, like you, because it requires the setup to be good. That's the kind of card that I want to be blue.
1: Yeah. And my thinking was if in the late game scenario, if I'm blocking two to three cards a turn to prevent my opponent from uh, swinging, and I come back with two cards for 12, I think there's something to be said about that because. Normally, you're coming at me or coming at the other person with a weapon swing in the late game, or one card and arsenal in the other, hoping you can get a swing turn, or hopefully they whiff on something. So my thinking was, if I'm spending this time setting up, trying to be aggressive, and setting up these uh, potions, using the potions for other effects like time snap potion, giving me extra actions during the the early to mid game or EPOT for more efficient turns. I guess my thinking was with this late game that. I have damage that I've basically stored and crew all at once.
0: Yes. And a two-card hand for 12 damage sounds terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we know how scary that sounds. But I think that isn't a... I don't actually think of that as a two-card hand for 12. Because it still took three turns to get there. I think it would be really cool to see Fuzzy's Delicate mechanic find its way into this design for a hero mm-hmm. as a way of saying okay yeah you can hit me and yes you will destroy my items but do you want to destroy my items because that means you're taking damage like auto oh, damage interesting because of the charged flasks yeah yeah now this still means that you need to be Activating items, items are still hyper-niche, a lot of items are still Mm hyper-niche, but I think that there is almost a world where, yes, I can see both of these heroes existing, maybe even next to each other, Yeah. in the way that we see uh, Azuri and Arachne together, right? Mm -hmm. Both very much in their own realms, but... Also, both of them very much finding synergies with one another.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about if they were released in uh, fairly close to each other sets and if they both share these really great uh, attack actions that provide different on hits or some level of setup with like Bottle Smash or things like that. I think both of them will, will be great. I mean, Azuri and Arachne is kind of a hard example because they, they play like on polar opposites. But I see what you're saying. Sharing that card pull makes it easier for... A new class to be introduced same thing with like dash i mean that dash is a a really good uh hero on her own but she hasn't really gotten any other support that wasn't specifically just for her so she relies on a lot of generics as well to do anything besides uh aggro yeah
0: but ultimately what i do really like about this Royo design is the incremental advantage that you get for using items Mm -hmm. that you have here with the charged flask and that direct damage that can't really be mitigated it's scary but you're starting at a lower health you're naturally playing a class with a lot of items that aren't going to be protecting you aren't going to be attacking really so Mm -hmm. i think it is a good look at how can we create pressure with the inherent limitation of items
2: I think you've done a very good job of that.
1: Yeah, thank you, Clark, and that's a that's a good uh, distinction as well.
2: Yeah, I'm really jazzed about your hero. I would <laughs> love to play like this ragamuffin, scrappy, aggro alchemist with the freaking free damage. And... Yeah,
1: because I feel like all the heroes we've seen so far are like really cool, and I just want somebody really ugly and <laughs> sporadic <laughs> to be played. You know, for the for the gremlins of flesh and blood. Yeah, I think that about covers it for Royal. Uh, Let's move on to Arsenal Zone. Does anyone have any cards they want to talk about? Yes.
0: I have been having a hard time finding cards for Arsenal Zone, which is very uh, disconcerting, seeing as how this is only our third episode. (laughs) So I'm trying out something new where I just open up Fuzzy's card collection (laughs) and I pull out a random card. Uh, Today, I pulled out Sap. Sap is a wizard action card that blocks for three. It is rainbow, so it will deal three at red, two at yellow, one at blue, arcane damage to a target hero and has surge. So if it deals more than its base damage, you get to remove an energy counter from a permanent they control. We talked a little bit today about like the idea of sideboard cards and how items are kind of like these sideboard cards. Sap is also kind of like that it is only good if the opposing player has a card with energy counters on it Mm -hmm. and as far as i'm aware of there is only one card with energy counters on it find all spring tunic now you may be thinking whoa clark find all spring tunic is played by everybody and it's so powerful (laughs) and i think so i should run this one card to counter one other card I don't know, how is this helping my game plan? How is it helping me deal more damage? Like, there's probably just so many other cards I could run that would deal more arcane damage or get me more benefit off of a surge trigger than having the opponent delay their one extra mana for another turn.
1: Womp
0: womp. Womp womp. Rip. But hey, there's gotta be some duds. We're probably gonna
1: design some duds. That's true. You know, not, not every... Uh, I, I've heard this saying uh, amongst uh, designers and that you have to kill your babies or you have to learn how to kill your babies. Uh, and that's just accepting that it sucks and to not print it. And we're going to come up with plenty of those, I'm sure.
2: That's so bleak. Sap <laughs> is fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you run Sap? You
2: run a Surge Kano. Do you run Sap? In the deck list that I borrow from Han... I think he might have blue saps. The thing is that, like, there's three different zero for three wizard cards. One of them sap. Zap is strictly better than zap. Not strictly better than arcane dart. So you can run sap or arcane dart. Probably both. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Because it's a zero for three. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, zero for three. I get it. Honestly, you run it as a blue because it's a zero for one. Like, you can flip it off the top and you don't have to pay any mana for it, but it's not an exciting card. Anyway, I might edit that whole conversation (laughs) down to be a lot shorter. And if it's not, then hi, listener. (laughs) I'll go next. The card that I want to shout out today (laughs) is a tome. Oh? There are many tomes in the game. Mm -hmm. They all draw cards. They do. I love Drawing cards. <laughs> Thank you for not banging on the table. I love drawing cards. <laughs> I'm all about it. I will draw cards every day if I could. Flesh and Blood is a weird game where it's not always the strongest thing to draw cards. And we see that in cards like... dun dun, dun, dun Tome of Firebrand. Oh, yeah. Tome of Firebrand is a draconic instant. It doesn't even cost an action point. But it does cost one resource... You can only play Tome of Firebrand if you control four or more Draconic Chainlinks. You get to draw two cards. This card is so close to being good, I think. I don't play a lot of Fi, but I know the Fi doesn't really like run this card, right? They already kind of have like Art of War, mm-hmm. which kind of draws you two cards by banishing one and gives you another effect. Tome of Firebrand, that four Draconic Chainlinks is actually a pretty big hoop considering that you need to have mana to play the tome, and you need to play the tome. And that's kind of like two cards there that you're not playing. So maybe if you have a five card hand with an arsenal, you can like play three plus the Phoenix Flame from Graveyard plus the like you can like the sword. You can like pitch a blue to play the sword and then do Tome of Firebrand. But that means you have to have two zero cost draconic cards. Mm-hmm. Not the hardest
0: thing in the world. I play definitely Ru- possible. I play Rupture Five, but the thing is that by the <laughs> time that you typically play the fourth well, one, you are ending your chain.
2: Yeah, Rupture is a little bit different because it can be the fourth. Yeah, this can't be the. This fourth. This is basically Chain Link Five. It's yeah. like super Rupture. You need to <laughs> but- <laughs> have a mana at rupture. the end of playing
0: four other cards. Yes,
2: so that's why Tomo Firebrand is, isn't quite isn't quite strong enough, but I wish it was because I would love to play Fi and just play four cards, draw two more, play more cards. (laughs) Or imagine like playing Tome of Firebrand to draw into Tome of Firebrand to draw into Tome of Firebrand. Now we're talking. That sounds fun. (laughs) So Tome of Firebrand, this one's for you. Um, I wish you were just a little bit stronger, but also don't change a thing. And I have two copies right here. And in order to honor our third episode together, I'm going to sign these two copies and give a copy to each of you, Joel and
0: Clark.
2: Is this just going to be a thing, Fuzzy? I think it will. Let me just unsleeve.
0: God,
1: I love that noise.
0: Listener, I want you to be aware that he could leave them unsleeved, but he specifically wants you to listen to his process of unsleeving them.
1: I like the sound. Get
0: out my pen. (laughs) A whole ASMR adventure.
1: Yeah, and I love the signed cards. If I could have a card signed by each of my friends... like. And like in all my decks, that'd be. Do you great. want me to sign a card? Would you? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'll sign like a Graveling Growl or Sap. All right, <laughs> no, no, no. There's.
0: I think I have an extra Soul Harvest sitting around. <gasps> yeah. Soul yeah. Harvest. Shuffle
2: them together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't want to play favorites.
2: Well. Thanks. Fuzz. There you go. Because I love you guys. I love how you're... I gave you
1: a Majestic this time. <laughs> That's true. First Ed. Well, actually, that doesn't matter anymore. But I like how the handwriting gets worse and worse every card. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Buzz. Okay, so that just leaves me. My card that I wanted to talk about is one that I hope to see in Alchemist at some point. Or, I don't know, Al- Mechanologist with Alchemist Talent? question uh, mark. That's Tackle oh, Pounder. Oh,
0: oh why didn't we talk about
2: that in the episode? I di-
1: well, I didn't really, but I thought of it while you were talking about um, yeah. in-, in Red Pitch. But... Wouldn't that be sweet? Would wouldn't that be sweet? That'd be so sweet. And the reason why it'd be sweet is because I'm talking about Tekla Pounder. Mm-hmm. You start out with, actually, no, in Alchemist, you wouldn't start out with it. You'd have to play them. Anyways, I always see this in Dash, and I'm like, two extra damage for free. Actually, no, six extra damage for free. And then I see two, and I'm like, this game's you know going to be a little tough. i got to start blocking now. And then I see three. I'm like, oh, it, I'm playing against Wilson. Uh, <laughs> If you don't know what Wilson is, he's just a really good Dash player and he always manages to find three pounders, which is my worst nightmare. Uh, anyways, I would love to see something like that in Alchemist, something that gives you value over the, the spread of a few turns. And yeah, I just uh, really like the card. I think it's uh, great for Dash. Uh, it's just you know really good and it helps bridge the gaps of not having any really any relevant on hits in Mechanologist. So yeah, that's my shout out. Yeah, I remember when our friend Han, who is our our resident
0: dash player Mm -hmm. and just aficionado, when he went from the pistol dash to pounder. Mm -hmm. And I remember how all of the games just suddenly got a little bit harder.
1: (laughs) Pitch It To Me podcast is hosted by me, Joel Racinos, Clark Moore, and Fuzzy Delp. Our executive producer is Talon Stradley. Our logistics coordinator is John Farkas. Our music is produced by Dylan Hulse. Our logo is designed by Han V. And our sound mixing is done by Christopher Moore. Last but not least, thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Be sure to give us a follow on your favorite social media platform at Podcast.